0: The call begins now, warrior. As warriors, we are brave, keeping watch on the shore. As warriors, free or slave, we fight the war to the grave. We find strength at the core, and we never cave. Warrior. Hey Church, great to see you this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, so if you're new, uh, don't kind of get freaked out, I'll give it a little synopsis, and that'll help the new people get up to speed, and those of you that don't remember anything, get up to speed as well. So if that's helpful, uh, we're, we're looking at a series called The Armor of God called Warrior. It's taken from the book of Ephesians in the Bible, which was a letter written to the church in a city called Ephesus. And the church was having some trouble. In other words, the Gentile people and the Jewish people decided to worship together and they weren't getting along. You know, it sounds like a typical family, right? They just weren't, they were doing it all that well. And Paul writes to them about love. And he talks to them about what it takes to get along with each other. And then at the end of that book, he does this thing, and I, I think it's a metaphor. Now, if you're an English teacher, you can correct me, but he uses this thing called the armor of God, and really, what the armor of God is is being clothed from head to foot in God's love. That's what the armor is. Every piece of the armor represents another aspect of God's love in our life. So he talks about love, and then he has this like very strange juxtaposition of this love, but dressed as a warrior. Because I guess when you really think about it, sometimes you gotta really be tough to stand for love. Sometimes in the face of the challenges that come to us and the people we meet and the difficult circumstances, it just takes a tremendous sense of inner strength that really only comes from the Lord himself. So it's into this story that we drop into Ephesians chapter 6 And verse 10, and he says, finally, because that's what I just talked about, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, you've got this. What is the mighty power of God? One word, it's love, love, right? That's what it is. Every time you read about be clothed in the mighty power of God, it's the power of God to love. It's God's power loving through you. It's not your human love, because there's just some people, I do not want to love. Okay, we're here, right? But that's not what this is about. This is not me being able to love people. It's Christ being able to love people through me. Okay, that's his mighty power. So he says, put on the what? Full armor of God, right? So be completely clothed in love. The full armor, not a part of it, not a piece of it. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We talked about schemes as the devil using the wounded parts of our personality. That's those buttons that people can push. The devil uses those to get to you, to make you upset, to make you angry, to make you disappointed, to make you frustrated, to make you lose your temper. That's my go-to one, is my temper. That if you can push my button, and I get... Arr! So that's the one I'm working on. God's working on. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Well, he's working on you too, right? Okay. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's really not against people. But it's what's going on. It's against the rulers, the authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms who are trying to crush love. That's what Satan tried to do on the cross. He tried to crush love. Okay, Everything he could do was to crush God and crush God's love at the cross. Therefore, put on the what? full armor, all of it, okay? So when the day of evil comes, okay, when, the, when it happens for you and you meet that difficult person, you get that difficult trial, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand and the words we're gonna add are in love. Okay, that's what we're doing, okay? This is not aggression. This is standing firm in love, okay? So stand firm then, okay? And here's the armor, the belt of truth. We said, truth is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not a series of constructs. What I believe about this doctrine or that doctrine. Truth here is Jesus, being clothed with Jesus around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness that covers your heart. That means when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. And I, for one, am very happy about that because some days you shouldn't look at me, okay? It's just not good to look at me. And I thank God that God's love for me is not dependent on my behavior. God loves me because of Jesus, not because of me. And that's what righteousness means. My feet, wearing shoes of peace. And in addition to this, take up the shield of faith. Extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We said to you that those flaming arrows are those great big trials. And they come for one reason only. To make you doubt God's love in your life. To make you ask those questions. Does God really love me? That's what it's about. Now today, we're down to a couple more pieces. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're going to look at the helmet of salvation and we're going to look at the sword of the spirit, the word of God. When we talk about the helmet, that has to do with my mind. I need to have my head covered. I need to have my brain covered. If I go into battle and my head is not covered, my brain is not covered, then I've got a problem. And in this, he calls that salvation. So what I'd like to do is get us all on the same page about that word salvation. What does it really mean to be saved? And that's a word that we really should all get on the same page and define. So let me give you the problem, first of all. The problem from the biblical perspective is called the word, it's called the word sin. Okay, and and most of us go, oh, you don't like the word sin. So what we've done is we've taken this definition, and sin is simply the right to myself. It's simply I want to do my own thing. I want to do it my way, I want to do it when I want it, I want it how I want it, I want it customized just for me. It's all about me, life is just about me, right? I mean, that's, life is about me, you got it, right? So that's really what sin is. Sin is saying, I, I'm not interested, well, I'm interested a little bit in what God wants, but really what I want is what I want. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so Adam was given this opportunity to to just obey God. There's nothing wrong with the apple. There it was. It was a nice fruit. Nothing wrong with it. But God said, just don't touch that. And, and Adam said, well, I'll touch it if I want to. Right? So he ate the fruit. Right? So what he did was he said, what I want is more important than what God wants. And that's how we define sin. It's just simply the right to myself. So I, do I have a room full of sinners or not? Right? Okay? So I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about you doing bad things. Okay? I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about the bad things that you and I would label bad. I'm just talking about I own me and it's all about me and I'm the most important thing in the world. Okay? And whether you're going to admit it or not, that's exactly how you think. Because we all think that way because that's the hereditary that we have been passed on through Adam. So when the Bible talks about sin, it also talks about this thing called the world. And the world is the system of things that, is, that organizes itself without thought for Jesus Christ. So the world just goes on and it does its thing. And it just gets up every day and, and it eats and it sleeps and it drinks and it works and it parties, you know, and it amasses stuff and it retires and it dies. And it just doesn't have any thought about Jesus Christ. So what happens to you and I, remember I'm talking about salvation, what happens is there becomes a great big disconnect. And there's a great big disconnect that comes on two levels. First of all, we're disconnected from God. That's what happened to Adam. By Adam saying, no, you know what? What I want is more important right now than what God wants. That created a great big disconnect. Okay, we would call it disobedience, but it's a great big disconnect. But the other thing that happens is we also become disconnected from ourselves. And what happens is, is that we're no longer integrated, spirit, soul, and body. Something is dying within us. That spiritual part that God meant to be alive and well and whole in us, it dies in us when we don't obey God. And so it's dying and it's shriveling up and and we become disconnected. And the journey of humankind is, is is to kind of put us back together again that's why many of you resonate with, uh, with writings, like, like Eckhart Tolle, and you, you re- re- uh, resonate with these famous men, you know, like, like Buddha and the Dalai Lama, because they say these amazing phrases that resonate in your heart, and you say, yeah, that's, what, that's what's wrong. I'm feeling disconnected. I'm, I'm not whole. I'm trying to integrate myself, and and we can't do that. And here's the problem with that. You can't do that unless something spiritual happens to you. You will never find your relationship with God or your relationship with yourself, that integrated self. You will never find a whole integrated self unless you deal with the issue of God first. So you need to settle the issue between you and God. When you settle the issue between you and God, then you can begin to settle those internal disconnects in you that I think one way and behave another way. And you can begin to help those disconnects. So God has a solution. And listen, this this was revolutionary revolutionary for my thinking, and I hope it'll be for you. You see, the amazing thing is that even though humankind is responsible for this disconnect, this sin. Even though we're responsible for it, God assumes responsibility for it. And he says, "Look, you can't do anything about that. The only way this is going to happen is if I do something about that. And what God did, he created this thing called the cross. And the cross is God's heart broken for that disconnect. That's what the cross is. When you look at the cross, it's it's God in human form, in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And there he is as Jesus Christ, and his heart is broken. So he is crushed by this system called the world that has no interest in the things of God. And it crucifies God himself in human form. And so he, he crushes that. And because it's crushed and that love is spilt out, God says, now listen, this is the doorway to new life. The cross is a portal into spiritual life with God and you and I can enter in. We enter into that portal by simply agreeing with God's assessment of the situation. What is that? That I'm rebellious, that I want to do my own thing, that I am disconnected from God. God's solution to that disconnect was to die on a cross to make sure that I could be forgiven and he was crushed there on a cross and if I agree with him and I walk through that portal and I walk through it mystically by saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I agree with you. I am a sinner. I am one who does my own thing and now Lord, I want to be in relationship with you and that happens because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is how we define salvation. That's what it is. And and you you can just say, I was lost, and now I'm found. That's the simplicity of it. And the doorway to that is the cross. Now what happens is once you experience that helmet of salvation, once you agree with God about your state, and you agree with God about what he did on the cross, that he himself died for you, so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for that sin, and you agree with that then the Bible says that is what salvation is. Now we have to deal with that salvation in our life. How does it work out? We have got to begin to work out what God works into us. So here's the thing. The one thing Satan wants to do for you and for me more than anything else. So once you walk, let me, let me okay, pause that over there. That thought's over there. Let me go over here. Once you walk through that portal of the cross and you identify with what God says, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. I believe that when you died on the cross, you died for me forgive my sin. Once you walk through that portal, there's a spiritual life that is birthed in you and we call it the Holy Spirit, the life of God. And nobody can take that from you. Once that Holy Spirit is birthed in you, It can never be unbirthed. I cannot shove a baby back in a birth canal. And once you are born spiritually, you you are God's child. You are God's child. So this is not the problem. The problem is back to the other thought that the devil can't make you unborn. What he can do is make you a useless child. That's what he can do. He can make you a no value to God whatsoever. He can make you stuck in that silly circle of stinking thinking and bitterness and anger and jealousy and blah, 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 blah. He can make you stuck in that. And his primary purpose is to bring situations into your life that will derail you in such a way that you become of no value to God here on earth. Now, why is that important? Like, why why is that such a freaky thing? So what what if I'm not of any value to God? Well, who cares, right? I still want to live the way I want to live, and what if I'm no value to God? Well, here's the problem. And you and I pray this prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's the only way God's kingdom comes. On earth is through you and me. It doesn't come any other way. There's no other way for it to come. It doesn't mystically appear and go, boom, here's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. It's the kingdom of light in the face of darkness. And the only way God's love is is ever demonstrated anymore in the world because the cross is not going to happen again. There's not going to be another crucifixion in time, place, and history. The only place we are going to see the cross, which is God's brokenness and his love for humanity, is if we see the cross in your life and mine. So it's really important, this thing about usefulness to God, because God doesn't have any other way of being God he doesn't have any other way of being love, which God is love, right? Little verse of the Bible. There's no other way for God to be love in this world unless he is love through you. And that's why the critical moment when you and I, you know, respond out of that, that selfish nature of ours, you know, when we respond in ways that are not healthy, that's why it does such great damage because it's not a reflection of the kingdom of God. So you see, our destiny, our destiny is based on us working out this salvation, the seed of the Spirit of God, this Holy Spirit seed. Our destiny is that we need to work that out, and we work it out in our mind. By having our mind renewed, by having our mind made new. Heidi, could I go all the way back to the first scripture, please, the second scripture, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 10:4 says this: "The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world." See, it's not, it's not power, manipulation. love. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we fight with is the weapon of love. And if we fight with the weapon of love, then that has divine power, God's power, because it's really God's love in us. It's not my human love. My human love is just a, a remnant of God's love. But God's love can demolish strongholds. You and I literally have been given this destiny from God that we could, by loving in unlovable situations, we can tear down strongholds. We can tear down woundedness and brokenness in families. We can stop fighting. We can stop the infighting. We can stop the horrors that we perpetrate on each other. We can stop this anger, this frustration. We can stop having to be right. We can stop needing justice for us. We need justice for other people. God's got our justice. You and I literally can demolish that brokenness in the world by simply being useful to God, but we're not going to be useful to God if we don't transform our mind and allow that seed of the spirit that is within us to fill us completely. So for... Here's a quote, I'll put it on the screen for you. For our salvation to work itself out in ordinary life, we need to transform mind. Otherwise, I'm I'm still going to be doing... Okay, I I don't want to spend on that all day or we'll be here past lunch. So how do we do that? Well, uh, it's too bad the people on radio can't see this, eh? Oh, radio people, you really need to get your seat in the chair. Oh, man. That is, just to let you know, that is a ceremonial sword. It is an awesome sword. It weighs a ton, too. Thanks, Dave. Dave brought it in for me. It's a ceremonial sword. And, and the Word of God says, put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit. And the verse is capital S, which means the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. And he says, the sword of Of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, let me just, uh, let me see if I can do this the way they, can I stand like that? There we go. How's that look? Is that okay? For all of my Christian life, I've been taught that this sword was an offensive weapon. And when we got to this point of the armor of God, we were to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go out and just pound people over the head with it. You know, what you need is the word of God. Here, I don't want to frighten you. Here, who can I frighten? I just, I just take this sword and just plunge it into you. This is the word of God. You know what you need? You need the word of God. The problem is you need the word of God. That's your problem. If you only had the word of God, life would be better. If you obey the word of God, society would be better. Can I tell you something from the bottom of my heart? People who uh, don't love Jesus couldn't give a damn about the word of God. They don't care it's the word of God. It does mean anything to them. Why would you go to say to somebody, here, here's the word of God. You need to believe the word of God. Why should I believe that book? And you know, I prefer Gehil Gabron. I prefer something else. I prefer Nietzsche. I don't know. Why would I, why would I want the word of God? So truthfully, when I get to this armor of love, this word of God, the sword of the spirit, is all about me. It's all about what God wants to do with me. Let me just show it to you, okay? Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God, the sword of the spirit is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. He's using that as an illustration to tell you. It's like, think of it as a doctor's scalpel as he's cutting and, and reassembling nerves, right? That brain surgery they do, that's, that's what it does. It's sharp again. And it judges, what? Read the last line. The thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Who is this written to? a bunch of people called the Hebrews. Okay, they were Jewish believers. It was written to them. It wasn't written to the world around them. It wasn't written to anybody else. It was written for them, that they needed to understand the sword of the Spirit. And you see, when we look at the Word of God, it comes in two forms. One of it is the living Word, which is Jesus. Okay, you can just go to John and read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and that was Jesus. But then, then there's this living word, the written word. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture, even the one parts you don't like, are God breathed. spirit. Numa, Holy Spirit. Breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Okay? So now listen. So that who? The servant of God not, not somebody who doesn't believe. The Sermon of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to think about that for a night. Put, put your toque on, okay? Your thinking toque. We're in Northern Ontario. We were thinking toques. Based on what we're talking about, what would be your best guess that every good work would be? What is every good work? Love. You got it. That's what it is. You know, that you're going, to be, you're going to be thoroughly equipped to love. That's what it is. You know, that, 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 that whatever happens, that this word of God, this sword of the spirit, is going to transform my mind in a way that it's now going to allow the love of God to shine through me without the corruption of my old nature. It's going to just let the divine come through me and shine through me. And oh my gosh, I need help because I'm not there yet. I don't know about you. But that's the goal. It's just to allow the word of God to purify our mind. So, so what is the process? You know, for years, I don't know how many of you ever struggled to be a good Christian. Maybe I'm just the only one. But, uh, but you know, what I really discovered was that if you, if you begin to saturate your mind with the word of God, that goes down into your subconscious mind. And then it goes down and it messes around down in there. And, and, it, and it kind of fixes things and it heals things and, and it just kind of tweaks things. And then you just kind of live out of that. You don't try to love. You, know, you, don't, you don't look at somebody and go, Tina, I'll just pick on you because you're in the front row. You know, oh my goodness, there's Tina. Okay, look, I'm to figure, figure out how to love Tina. You know, I don't want Tina to dress. No, when you and I really get to that point of maturity, we might have to do that in the early stage. But when we get to the point of maturity, it's just simply the word of God living through us. God himself breathing through us, fixing our mind. And then we just look at people and we go, oh, I've got to love you. I just got to love you. It doesn't matter that you're weird, that you're strange. I'm not talking about you anymore, (laughs) Cheetah. It doesn't matter that you're weird or you're strange or you're difficult. It's just going to, just going to, so what what happens is instead of me trying, you know, I might do that in the early days because I'm learning, but instead of me trying, the word of God has so transformed my life that I just live I just live out of his presence. So, you know, when we say to you, like, like, download you version, you know, get that you version and, and read it, you know, put it on your phone, you know, get Bible gateways, get, get a, a Bible help, get our daily bread, one of them, get them from the counter up front, get something so that every day of the week you put something of the word of God into your mind and just allow God to use that. You know, some people say to me, well, I don't get much out of the word. I've been trying to read the word. and I don't get much out of it. So what did you get out of your spaghetti dinner last night? You have no idea, right? You have no idea that your blood sugar went through the ceiling because you ate too many carbs. Uh, You don't know how the nourishment happened, but you know that you ate and you know that you're strong and you know that you're well. So sometimes you and I just have to read the Word of God whether we feel like it or not. See, here's, here's the crutch. Okay, I'll put this on the screen because I think it's just the most important statement in, in all of life. If we do not put to death the things in us that are not of God, they will put to death the things of God in us. Right? So, so let, me, let me tell you this because, see, for years, if we don't put to death the things in us that are not of God, Okay, they will put to death the things of God in us because the two of them can't live together. Something, something is going to come out front, okay? And for years I thought the not of God stuff was, was all these really, really bad, heinous things, you know? And sometimes you get older, you don't sin in the same way you did when you were younger, you know? But, but I came to realize that sometimes the things in us that are not of God are actually good things. They're just not given over to God, so, you know, I, I look at things like, you know, like the, the need for recognition or acknowledgement. Or, or how about this one? This one's a tough How about rights? This is a really big thing in our society today. Do you know the Christian has no rights except not to have any rights? Because God is, is, is what your right is. You don't go up there and say, I demand this. This is my right. No, a Christian is always broken bread. And if you disagree with me, look at a cross. What rights did he have? I mean, he was was crucified unjustly. He had a fake trial, a mock trial. I mean, there were were no rights here. Jesus didn't hang on a cross. I demand my rights to a fair trial. So sometimes, you know, this whole idea of rights is a problem for us. Because more times than not, My right to be right is rooted in my right to be myself. My right to be right is rooted in me. I need to be right. Jesus had no need to be right. He gave his rights to his father who judges all things fairly. He had no need to be right. He just said, okay, Lord, here it is. What, what about our sense of justice? You know what the Bible teaches is you, you and I have no justice as believers, but we are to demand justice for others. But we go out and we fight for our own justice. So once again, I'm back on that, that, that shaky ground of it's all about me. I want justice for me. You know, I, I grew up in a household of kids, you know that? And everybody says, it's not fair. It's my favorite line. Who said life was fair? Where did, where did you buy into that Kool-Aid? What Kool-Aid did you drink that life was going to be fair? It doesn't matter if you're a Christian if life is not fair. It's irrelevant because it's not about you or me having life treating us fairly. It's about us going out and being like Jesus was, was, being made broken bread for others, a sacrament for others. It's up to us to see that others receive justice, that others receive fairness. That's what our role as Christians are, not to defend my rights, but to defend the rights of of others. You know, there's an old verse of scripture in the little prophet Micah, and I don't have this one. Micah 6 and 8 says, what, what, what is required of you? And he says three things, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's what he says. There it is. And so sometimes what has to be put to death in us are, are the good things. So you see the natural in us, The natural things, you know, like our body, our sex, nice things, beauty, music, art, creativity. The natural is not sinful, but the problem is it's not spiritual. It just is. It's what God built into the world. But when the natural is sacrificed through obedience, it becomes transformed. So when we give even the good things to God, when we give those things in our life that we think are wonderful, what happens when we give our body to God? Because the Bible says your body is to be offered as a living sacrifice. What happens when we give our sexuality to God? We don't try to live by a bunch of rules and regulations. We just give it to God. Here, God. Here, I I give it to you. I have a right to it, but I give it to you. And what happens when we talk about about beauty or our love for nature? Or here's a really big one, okay? I'll get in trouble for this one. I'll get letters. I get emails nowadays, right? Uh, how about our retirement? But our retirement? Nothing wrong with retirement, but have we given it to God? Is it his? Um, John, one John, one, John was the guy that wrote the gospel of John, but then he also wrote these things to churches called epistles. And, and John is a kind of like, you ever have a friend who tells you like it is, but you hate him and you love him at the same time? You ever have a friend like that? This is John. Look what he writes in one John 2, And four, he says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. (laughs) Truth is not in him. Okay. It's pretty sharp, eh? So what is his commandments? It's two of them, right? Love God, love others. Right? Got it? So I know Jesus, but I don't necessarily love others. So you're a liar in the truth. That means Jesus. Real Jesus is not in him. Ooh, it's a little hard. And then he says in the next verse, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So, so when I keep God's word, what happens is God's love is now being perfected through me so that I can love the unlovable and love the difficult. And by this, we may know that we are in him. Why? Whosoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. he walked in love, he walked in sacrifice. His body was broken as a sacrament for you and me. And he says, you too need to have your body broken as a sacrament. By our body, he means our entire life as a sacrament. See, this is, this is revolutionary. Because this takes us out of the, the level of, of, of focusing always on ourselves and, and what, it's, what it's doing to me and what's happening to me and what's important to me and what I need and what I want and what I require and what I demand and it says all of that as good as any one of those things may be must be sacrificed to God and if God gives them back then good if he doesn't then good This is not easy Christianity. This is not something that you wake up and say, okay, I want to do this. So before you decide that you may want to put on the helmet of salvation, if that's something you haven't done, you might want to also think about the fact that once you put it on, you're going to have to go at war and you're going to probably go at war with yourself. Probably what's going to happen. Okay, I'll try to sum it up in in one big long phrase. Okay, put it up here for you. When we put on the helmet of salvation, That means we have an experiential encounter with Jesus at the cross. There you love me, Lord. And we constantly expose the word of God to our minds. Then his love becomes our love. And we can stand firm in his love. In the natural elements of daily life. I just go about my daily living. I'm not trying to be holy or perfect. I just live. But then his kingdom has come on earth. And and you know, I look around and, God, I got to stop talking. I look around and I just see the brokenness. And you and I have a message for the world around us that could change the world around us, but it's got to change us first. I got to let the sword do its work on me. I've got to be brave enough to look in the mirror, to look in the word of God, to allow that word of God to really cut out of me everything that myself has managed to wrap itself around so that all that lives in me is a desire to do what God wants, whether that's in life or in death, in health or in sickness, in wealth or in poverty, I will just be God's so that I can fulfill his destiny on earth. Let's pray. Lord God, come, come as the spirit of love, Lord. Lord, somehow let us look at the cross and may it break our heart. That's what self did, Lord. It nailed you there. That's what the desire for power and recognition. Lord, it nailed you to a cross. God of very God. That's what you did for us, Lord. And you hung there and you could have destroyed the people around you. You could have called 10,000 angels and literally wiped humanity off the face of the earth. But you said, no, I love you. Father, give us a glimpse of that love, and in giving a glimpse of that love, may you radically transform our lives. Your name we pray, amen. I'd love you to join me in this beautiful sacrament. Today, as we look at the broken body and blood of our Lord, And you realize, for us here, these are simply symbols. This is not the Lord's body or not the Lord's blood. For us, it's just a symbol. And and when we think about brokenness, think about what the Lord did. That on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. So this is my body broken for you. Now, you know you could say yes, his body, physical body was broken, but but really what he was talking about was his entire self, his entire being. He's talking about his mind, his will, his emotions. So this is all surrendered to God for you. And then really what he's saying is now you go do the same. You go surrender your will, your emotions. surrender your body, surrender it to me that just as I was broken for the world, you may be broken for those around you. Would you eat, please? Afterwards, he took the cup. This is grape juice. He said, here's a new deal I'm making. He said, I will not leave you comfortless but I will send the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, because oh. I'm never going to love Tina the way I'm supposed to love Tina without Jesus. Well, I love you. Amen. <laughs> well, uh, okay. okay. well, yeah. Right? Without Jesus, I can't do it. I can't do it, man. It's too hard. There's some really, really difficult people in my life, and it's really, really hard. I can't do it without. I can't do it without this. It's not going to happen without this, okay? And then he said, do this till I come again. And that's the ultimate hope, eh? Let's drink together. Warrior. As warriors, we are brave, keeping watch on the shore. As warriors, free or slave, we fight the war, to the grave, we find strength at the core, and we never cave, warrior.